it is the temptation of many preachers to complain about having to preach on Trinity Sunday. I'm not going to complain today, I promise. <laughs> Rather, I, I want to talk a little bit today about the invitation, the invitation that Trinity Sunday offers us, the invitation to enter into the divine life. To share a few stories about what that might look like. The first is an old story which dates back in writing at least to the 13th century and probably in the oral tradition back much further. It's about St. Augustine. Augustine of Hippo. Augustine of Hippo, the story goes, was dressed in his full Episcopal robes, his full bishop outfit, walking on the African seashore along the beach. And as he was walking, he was trying very hard to understand, to comprehend in his own mind, the doctrine of the Trinity. Augustine lived at a time that was much closer to the controversies that gave rise to the Trinitarian doctrine and also the creed we have today. So they were fresh for him and pressing. As he was walking along the seashore with these great thoughts that Augustine always had, he saw a little boy doing what all little boys do at the seashore. The little boy had dug a pool in the sand and was going back and forth between the ocean and the pool, taking a bit of water from the ocean and pouring it into the hole he had dug. The image of this little boy's actions were so distracting for Augustine that he left his reverie for a moment and he had to ask, child, what are you doing? The little boy said, I am moving the whole ocean into this pool. And Augustine said, child, you can no more move the whole of the ocean into this hole you have dug than I can comprehend the Trinity. story goes, the boy immediately disappeared. Mm. And tradition holds, of course, that it was an angel who had appeared to Augustine, standing at the edge of the sea on the beach. With that beautiful metaphor of the expanse of the divine mystery spread out before him. And a boy, a child, perhaps an angel of God, demonstrating the futility of our understanding. Augustine was invited into the divine life. Last weekend, my family and I were up at Shasta for the first time. We had a wonderful time up there. And Mount Shasta, as many of you know, dominates the landscape in Northern California. Driving up I-5 about 60, 70, 80 miles out, you see it start to loom up over the landscape. And it's particularly vivid early 
this summer because they had the late snowfalls from the storms we had. And so Mount Shasta is still almost completely covered in snow. So it stands out even more than usual. And part of our adventure last Saturday was going up to about 7,500 feet where the snow line ends. And you're driving along and suddenly there are 10 feet of snow on the ground getting out of the car and watching all the climbers go up the mountain with their snowshoes. Some of them are going cross-country skiing. Decked out in all of their regalia with all of their gear, ready to hit the peak in maybe two days. Daniel and I were throwing snowballs at each other. It was a lot of fun. I was reflecting on the tremendous desire that draws countless people up that mountain year after year after year, despite all its dangers. You know, I was reflecting with a parishioner yesterday, you know, I, I, I'm really tempted to climb Mount Shasta, really sorely tempted to climb Mount Shasta, but I'm going to have to get training first because that mountain kills people. And she smiled and said, yeah, but even with training, it still might kill you. You're right. As I read the history of Mount Shasta, I start to recognize why people regard it as such a holy spot and an amazing place. Mount Shasta is a living mountain. It's a dormant volcano, not a dead one, a dormant one. It erupted about 250 years ago. It will erupt again, probably somewhere along the lines of Mount St. Helen. It lives and it breathes. John Muir, who is memorialized in these here parts, climbed Mount Shasta and just short of the peak got caught in a dreadful storm. And the only reason he survived is because he found hot springs near the very top of the mountain, which kept him from succumbing to hypothermia overnight. That's why he lived to tell the tale because the mountain is alive. As we were driving back home, I said to my wife, I miss the mountain. She said, I know exactly what you mean. It's like a dangerous and wild traveling companion. God, the Holy Trinity, is like that for us a dangerous and wild traveling companion. And like the mountain and like the sea, life in the divine mystery is dangerous. Annie Lamont, I believe, reminds us that we would do better probably to wear hard hats to church on Sundays. Or, as I'm more certain, she says, you know, we're sort of like children playing with dynamite every time we gather for worship. Think about what we talk about in the mystery of the gospel. We talk about death and new life. We talk about sacrifice. We talk about purpose. We talk about people's lives being turned upside down and inside out in surprising ways. 
Nowhere in scripture does it really say that life with God is completely safe. Anyone who tells you that it says that is selling something. Life is dangerous with God. But then if you think about it, it makes sense. Because for all of us armchair scientists, we've learned that life does not appear in safe places. It appears at the margins. It appears in the interfaces where dangerous things happen. From volcanic vents under the sea, to that dividing line between the cold and the warmth, where the Earth orbits the sun. Life was birthed, as Genesis reminds us, in the waters of chaos, where the spirit brooded over them, in a dangerous place. And it's probably no accident that most of the world's population lives near the ocean. A lot of us live along fault lines where earthquakes happen, tsunamis sometimes as well. Life thrives on the side of volcanoes. Life abides in dangerous places. Today's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples at the very end of Matthew to go forth, to go out into the dangerous world, to live into the dangerous life of the divine in service to others. With all of their doubts, it's interesting that Matthew points out some of them doubted. Jesus doesn't fix that. I think that's good news, actually. Jesus doesn't fix that for them. He just sends them out there anyway. You know, trained or not, you as Christians are called to climb the mountain of the divine life. You risk death. You risk marginalization. But you risk it for the right reasons, for love, for hope, for all that gets you up in the morning and moving again, the divine life that lives within you. That's the life you take in when you receive communion. Make no mistake, it's dangerous. But it is filled with the tensions and the push and pull of the relationship in the Trinity. And it is there that you find the rootstock of all existence and a hope that leads to eternal life. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. 
We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.